Well, good morning. Um, we, as, as uh, Holly said, we have a preschool, and as part of our preschool, we talk um, to the parents. Actually, that's what we do four days a week. Mary and I are meeting with different groups of the parents from the preschool and sharing some, uh, I guess, a range of, we have a two-year curriculum. Some of it's academically related stuff that is where the, the background from TCA came in, but today there's, there's no connection to really the academic side as much as there is uh, to parenting. And so my prayer for you today really is that just the things that we would have to share is you would find helpful. And my guess is as you leave, um, there'll be different aspects that are helpful to different people. Um, and what I'm, uh, I'm going to do is try to lay a little bit of a foundation today um, that's of a theoretical framework for parenting. And then um, in two weeks, again, we're, we're going to be out of town next week, but then in two weeks, uh, Mary's going to take over, uh, do most of it, and it's going to be much more of the practical how-to side. So I know that lots of times it's those how-to questions that are kind of um, eating at us, and I'm not going to get um, very deeply into that part of it today. Uh, but before we dive in, because Mary and I uh, sort of live in the world of parents of three and four-year-olds, it'd be helpful for me to just uh, get a sense from you. How many of you have, I, and I realize you may have multiple kids, so you may want to raise your hand more than once, but how many of you have a child that's, say, four or under? And keep, keep them up for me just so I can really take this in. So, okay, it looks like the majority of you at least can connect there. And then in terms of uh, how many of you may also have a child um, that is, let's say, somewhere between kindergarten and sixth grade? Okay. That's helpful. And then how many of you have kids that are older than that? See, fewer? Okay. And that's... Uh, yeah, so Mary and I are... Thank you for, for that. Um, so we have three daughters. Um, our youngest is just about to turn 22 in just a few days, which is actually why we're leaving town. We're going to go down to Florida or what's left of Florida and visit her. And uh, so she got married, a, what, a year, a little, little more than a year ago. Um, we have another daughter who's soon to be engaged, a, a little older than her, and then our oldest was married, okay, two and a half, about three, okay, say three years ago. Um, she's 28. And the reason that's relevant is because it shapes um, a lot of our view of parenting is focused on the idea of preparing our kids for life and for marriage. And I can tell you that, um, boy, when our, my first daughter was married, that, the, that expression, father of the bride, you can hardly say that phrase in our culture without people thinking of Steve Martin, right? And Steve Martin going a little nuts. And it's funny, you know, I, uh, I, wasn't, I, I wouldn't say I was c- kind of that nutty, but it was a powerful, it was a powerful, powerful day. And um, it, it, there's something about seeing my daughter walk down, you know, that aisle that provoked all kinds of, just a flood, you know how fast your brain works, right? And there's a whole flood of thoughts that have to do with, A, the first thought was, like, does she have any idea what she's getting into, right? That's the first thought. And then the obvious answer to that is, well, of course not. There's no way anybody, right, right, she has no idea what lies ahead, but that's part of the journey. We all, we go through that. Anybody that's married can relate to that. So, that became kind of a real quick thought, but then the next one was really, it's just have we prepared her 
for, for life and for marriage? And, and has our parenting invited her to a place where she can enter into really healthy relationships? Um, is she able to have conflict because we kind of know that's coming, right? We're, the honeymoon phase is going to come to an end, and there's going to be conflict, of course, and that that's natural, and it can be very, very healthy. Is she prepared to have conflict well so that it is a productive thing, so that in the midst of their conflict, they might actually get to know each other better, and the relationship would deepen as opposed to it leading to isolation and areas where uh, things don't get processed, uh, things don't get resolved well. And uh, I'm, I'm a big fan, Mary and I use the phrase all the time, that uh, you know, if, you, if you bury things before they're dead, they come back to haunt you. And a lot of marriage can be like that, where uh, you know, we start to just sort of build little, a little brick wall between ourselves and our partner, and pretty soon there's just more and more distance in there. So you know, it's, it's a really big deal um, to us. That's probably not a real professional way to say it. It's beyond a big deal. As, as we think about their spouse, one of my top criteria as I have uh, you know, met with my son-in-law, and if, if, if they, if both of my son-in-laws so far have asked you know, permission for my daughter's hand in marriage, which is kind of cool, but um, it's a little late in the game, usually by the time that happens, for, you know, to say, eh, you know, it, it's, it, but the thoughts that are going through my mind really are, um, have you guys fought yet in some big ways? And I asked my daughters, you know, how did that go? How did he handle that? Um, so to me, that's a really, really important category. Um, let me see some other things. So are, are they ready to enjoy healthy relationships? Um, do they understand how to, how to have conflict? And um, have we prepared them for taking a look in the midst of that conflict at their own life? Is there, um, and, and by the way, does the gospel have anything to do with these questions? And say, and I just sort of threw that in because this is a Sunday school class and I figured I had to try to tie it in somehow. But, but, re- but seriously, is, you know, is somehow in our parenting the invitation to uh, appreciation and gratitude for the cross, is somehow that actually, is that important in a, in, in a way that's significant to their relational style and how they're going to interact with their spouse, how they're going to interact with other people in their lives. So um, that's what we kind of want to look at today. Um, and is, is another even scarier question, are there things that I have done as a parent that are going to make that even more difficult for her rather than facilitating that? Is, is it possible there are aspects of our styles of parenting that may actually interfere with their ability to engage with their spouse in a constructive way. So um, what, what I'm, my goal for today is to walk through a little bit of a, a theoretical model of people because I think in order to parent well, um, we need to have an understanding of sort of some of the dynamics of people. And I know it may be ambitious to think, gee, this is a Sunday school class and I don't know where you guys are coming from and how chaotic your lives have been this week and how long it takes for you to, for your you know, it's just the chemicals in your brain to kind of calm down a bit. But um, my hope is, I, I, Mary and I have found this model to be very, very helpful. And when I say it's a model, so, so a little bit about our background. Um, I got a master's degree uh, from a, a program that was run by a guy named Larry Crabb and Dan Allender. I don't know how many of you have heard of either of those guys, but this was about 25 years ago. Um, and um, it was really life-changing. I went into that program... Um, a, a couple things. One is that my, my undergrad was mechanical engineering, um, and I was an engineer in kind of the worst sense of the word. And, 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 and if any of you are engineers, I don't mean that to be 
um, offensive because I think, but I, I had a very imbalanced brain, I guess, in terms of being very, very task-oriented. And I think I approached life with a task orientation. I approached people a bit with task orientation. And um, I came out of that with a much, um, I think, a richer appreciation and awareness of just how central relationships are to everything that really, that's really important and that really matters. Mary essentially went through that same program because uh, we, we started off at that program in Indiana. Um, she got to audit some courses and, and I was a student. And then I got, got a chance to come on staff with them. That whole program moved to Colorado Christian University up in Denver. And that's what brought us out to Colorado about 25 years ago. Um, and we thought that we would just head back toward the East Coast after um, I did a, it was a one-year inter- internship to come on staff with them. Um, and we never left Colorado. So that was, I said, like 25 or, or um, years ago. Um, so what, we, what I, my goal is that you would have this framework for thinking about people and then and have that impact your parenting um, and then again, as, as I said, Mary will come through with a little bit more of some of the how, to, how do we apply this stuff. Um, but in all of my relationships, I've found certain things to be true. And I, so what I'm going to begin with is talking about, uh, we're going to start sort of just looking at the message that we get from Genesis and see there's an understanding of people where we see that um, God has created people with his image as a part of them, Okay. So there, there's two halves of the heart, and what I want to do is focus on what we'll call like this left half. And when I, so when I think of my, we have a grandchild now, and I look and I see this sweet little baby. In fact, she was so adorable the other day, she was asleep in the backpack, and I just had to run and grab my camera and get a picture of that little innocent, cute face. There's something that's just so enjoyable to think about as we look at our children, and you, get, you see this all the time on Facebook, right, is they are image bearers, and there's something about them as people that ha- they reflect God's capacity for creativity and for beauty. Um, we have an appreciation. I wonder why. There, there was a double rainbow the other day, and I actually, when I saw this double rainbow, I called Mary and said, oh, you've got to look out the window and see this. And as I turned and got closer to up, up on Academy Boulevard, and there were people like lined up taking photographs of these rainbows. What is it about beauty that touches our heart and touches our soul at a core level? See, I think all that is a reflection of who we are as people and our, our, our um, <clears throat> reflection of God's character. Even like I, I had I listened to a Katy Perry song the other day. Even Katy Perry... Seem, she will talk about there's some sort of a spark in us, right? And there's a, there's a spark in us, and if we let it shine and let it show, that, that wouldn't it be neat if people said, ooh, and ah. See, and that's how, as a grandparent, when I see that little spark in my granddaughter, I ooh and ah. It's just, at her, it's just her curious, her passion for learning. There's just so many things about her that I delight in. So... Generally, parents don't have a hard time seeing the reflection of God in, and, and the beauty in our children, especially infants. But there's another part of the story in Genesis where, although Adam is created in 
God's image and Adam is given dominion to name the animals, the, the fall occurs. And now Adam moves from living in the place that he was built for to a world where that humanity leads to struggle. And everything that we're hungry for, and I, so I've just kind of built a list of, so we're image bearers, but we live in a fallen world and we are fallen. So we're fallen image bearers. That um, every relational word um, is now leads to a sense of there's a hunger, but there's also a disappointment. So when I go through a list and say, am I loved? And that's, that is a core, core question. And, and we're going to talk in a minute about the fact that our children are always asking two questions. In, all the time, at the same time, they're asking two questions. And one of those questions is, am I loved? And I want you to hear that more as a metaphorical, kind of a broad umbrella, because there's variations on what comes out of that side of the heart, whether it's worded as, am I loved, or am I liked? Is there a difference? There used to be an old, there was some Jimmy Stewart movie once, and he, I think he was the father of the bride, and the, his, his future son-in-law, uh, they were having a conversation, and um, he said, he asked if he liked, he, he asked the, the son-in-law, he said, the future son-in-law, he said, do you like her? And then the, the actress says, what, you know, I love her. And Jimmy Stewart pushes back and he said, no, that's, that's not what I'm asking. I'm asking, do you like her? I thought, huh. I, just, I don't even remember the name of the movie. I don't remember the name of the characters, but I remember the, the idea. And, I, and, and that, there is a difference between are we loved, are we liked, are we enjoyed? Are we, are we wanted? I once had a friend saying there's a big difference between having my wife tell me that she loves me versus that she wants me. Um, and that's rung in my ears. Um, am I valued? Am I appreciated? Am I respected? That's the word, again, sometimes I think there's, there's different contexts where different, different ones of these words provoke a lot in my heart. Now, again, as I go through this list, um, I don't know what goes on in, in your heart, and part of what happens is I think we tend to grade on a curve and say, well, yeah, I, yeah, I've got a pretty good marriage, and I think my wife loves me, and she, and she likes me. So you need, if we are going to really be able to enter into our children's heart, there's a level of honesty and awareness of saying, I am loved, but am I loved completely the way I'd really love to be loved? Am I, you know, I'm in, I have friends, I think I've got great friends, um, but there's a hunger to be in the innermost circle. If I had four friends, in fact this happened once, I have some buddies that I've known for a long time, and one time I saw a photograph of them, um, and they had climbed like a 14er, and there was a picture, and I don't even know when the photograph was taken, but uh, there were the, th the three of them were on top of a, f a 14er, and they've got the whole, you know, the photo op thing. You know, when I saw the photograph, my very first thought was like, wow, where am I? How come I'm not in that picture, man? You know, like, and the truth is, I don't even remember. Maybe they invited me and I was out of town. But all I knew is where my mind went was, wow, I, 
you know, there's a part of me that really wants to be in the photograph when my buddies are up at the top of the 14er. Um, so, am I respected? Is one that, especially in the work world, I found, boy, sometimes I think I'd almost I'd rather be respected than be loved or liked. Am I needed? Am I known? Am I understood? Am I seen? I love, at uh, Valentine's Day, I often think, well, it's, it actually comes up at Christmas. Let me give you a, a little tip for your a little marriage counseling here. Um, <clears throat> I think at Christmas time when you have young children, see, there's a desire, and I'm, I'm going to speak mostly to the women, there's a desire for the gift from your husband to reveal that he sees you, he knows you, that you're an oddly shaped jigsaw puzzle piece, and he found the gift that just lines up with that. See, at Christmas time, no, 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 no. Now, if you want that for Valentine's Day or your birthday, that's fine. But at Christmas time, you have to give your spouse a pass to say, Mary and I, in fact, we've gotten to the point where she buys, in order to feel seen and known, she buys her own Christmas gift and then gives it to me to give it to her. And that takes, <laughs> it takes all the pressure off. And she's, she, yeah, and, and she gives it to me early enough that she forgets. Um, what it is. And then, you know, her satisfaction rate with Christmas presents has gone way, way up. <clears throat> but I, and I'm serious about taking, finding ways to take the pressure out of Christmas season. I'm, I'm, I'm just a huge fan. Um, but, but being known and being seen, even though I'm, I'm poking a little fun at it, it, there really is a hunger and a desire to be understood. Um, and for me, see, when I think of the opposite of, of what it's like to be misunderstood, because there'll be times that I know in my daughter's marriage when she has conflict with her spouse. Um, things will be said that'll just it provokes something in her where she feels incredibly unseen, incredibly misunderstood, incredibly unknown. And there's a sense something stirs up and something's provoked. So if the left heart, left side of the heart, if we are image bearers, created for the garden, and yet we live in a world that is fallen amongst other fallen people. So I'm, I'm a, a fallen image bearer living with another fallen image bearer, raising little fallen image bearers. Okay? So, so the reality is, because we are built for another world, we have the capacity to hurt. So that's the only, and by the way, um, I made some handouts so that you guys don't have to feel that you've got to jot everything down. In fact, all, everything on this board is on this handout. Um, most, m- much of this is not, but I just wanted to remember to let you know, if you have to leave early, we, do, we, we try to collect, it's really a hodgepodge of, this, this talk is about six different parent times of preschool partners, so the notes, you may see little breaks that'll say something like the end of week one or whatever, but um, my goal, again, is that you would sit back and listen and see if this seems to be true in your life. If, you, if this understanding of people seems to put some words into what you experience, and again, I'm not talking about what you experience as you run 100 miles an hour to and from soccer practice and you know, doing the dishes and all that kind of stuff. This is, this is where at least I go, generally when I wake up at 2 in the morning. Um, this is like where the real, truest reality is for, for my life, and that's just part of my faith. Honestly, I'll tell you, there's a bunch of stuff in the Bible that I find very, very confusing. 
I don't know if that's okay to say on a, on a mic, okay? Um, see, I, I've struggled. I became a Christian um, in junior high um, through Young Life. And about the time that I went off to that program, I was 29, so I'd say that had been 15 years. But I was at a point where, um, boy, I was working really hard at trying to be a, a good Christian. And um, my understanding at that time, I, the, the idea that there was rest and peace and joy, um, I, I remember I almost, don't do this since Glenn is a friend of mine, but I almost stood up in the middle of a church service once. when I, There was some particular passage that talked about rest, peace, and joy, and I thought, I, I really wanted to stand up and go, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? Um, so I was pretty aware that there was a lot of stuff going on in my little mechanical engineering part and my task orientation that I had no concept of, of, of being able to, to, uh, to not just think through, but um, relationships were an area that I really couldn't master. See, that's, um, a lot of us can pull off academia. I did pretty well in school. And even marriage. Marriage is a new, that's a heck of a curveball, but you're at least dealing with another grown-up there can be some give and take. But parenting, parenting is, um, if we're really honest, there's a helplessness uh, about parenting, which is why, again, this is one of our, our favorite things to talk about is, is, you know, can we have a framework for understanding people where we, where we even have a vision for where we're trying to take our kids? And does the gospel have anything to do with that? So, so far, we're looking at the left half of the heart. And I love this quote from C.S. Lewis. It's the first time I actually remember to write it down. I usually butcher it when I try to uh, state it from memory, so I'm just going to read it. If we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. I don't know about you, and I don't mean to be depressing, but, um, wow, I have hungers and desires and questions um, that lead to uh, a sense of helplessness that, um, is, it, I, again, I feel like I've got a great marriage, but are, are there things in our relationship that I don't think are curable or that we're just going to be able to fix? Um, are there things that I, I feel like in order to survive, I just sort of shut down and quelch? I, just cry, I don't know if quelch is a real word. Uh, you know, but I, I sort of crush that hunger in me because, you know, really being honest... Um, I look at, it, just say, let's just say something like justice. I think our hunger for justice is just a reflection that we're, we're image bearers. We're image bearers. And there's, there's just, as we look at what seems so unfair and so wrong, and it disturbs us at a core level, and there's a helplessness in this life to fix and cure that, right? Um, so, so those things are all... Uh, reflections, I believe, of the fact that we were built for another world, that we're made in God's image, and that when we're honest, that while we enjoy these things, these hungers lead to a sense of disappointment. So, my child, my little, even my little sweet little grandchild, that cute little innocent face as she sleeps in the backpack, I know a couple things about her. I know that she's built for another world, and that 
as hard as her parents try to love her well and answer that question, am I loved, okay, that we won't answer it perfectly. And that's why the question, am I loved, am I enjoyed, am I wanted, am I needed, there's, there is, it's never like you check the box and go, yeah, well, I told you back, you know, I remember when you were in junior high, we told you we loved you, you know, I mean, you know, or, right? I mean, it's an ongoing, all the time kind of thing. So, now we're going to take a look, though, at our understanding of people and say, so what happens when I am disappointed? What happens when in my relationships um, I am hurting? And this leads to us taking a look at the other half of the heart, which is, um, there, there's a phrase that, and again, this was Larry Crabb, I, I just, anything, I, by the way, it's been years since I've been through that, and, and we, we've modified things, so if there's things you find objectionable about what I say today, I don't mean to, like, I don't, don't take it out on Larry Crabb, okay? I, it's, it's, it's my fault. But, but these, there really were, these were some simple ideas that were life-changing, I really think that even in one hour together, as we take some time to push back all the other junk that's going on in our world, just think for another 30 minutes, and tell me whether this sentence, this idea that my pain, my disappointment justifies my sin. My pain, my disappointment justifies my self-focus. And at different ages, okay, at, from a parent, again, we are talking about parenting, it, look, it can look very different, but do, do middle schoolers feel justified when they come home and no one wanted to sit by them in the cafeteria, do they feel justified to kick the dog, to be, a, you know, to be rude to their sister, to be disrespectful to their parents? See, if only we understood the kind of day they had. If only Mary understood the kind of day I had at work and what my boss did to me. Then, you know, the fact that I'm coming home and, and kind of taking it out on everybody... It'd be so nice for her to just understand and see me and know me and respect the idea. That, and by the way, I'm doing the best I can. So there's an, there's an energy that comes out of this other half of the heart that um, the reven- things like revenge and unforgiveness and bitterness and cynicism and all that seems like it's only human. Right? It's only natural. Of course I feel that way. So... In addition to the capacity to hurt, we have the capacity to do harm to others. And the harm that we do to others seems so legitimate and justified. And in a nutshell, while that is incredible simplification of the human heart, I see it all the time. In my own life, I see it in in, in pretty much anybody, any human being. And the odds are really good that your child is a human being. So that means... Their heart, as sweet and as innocent as my little granddaughter looks, I know her heart's going to look like this too. And I already see in a baby form, and you're going to think you're nuts, there's a baby form of like, I want something, um, and, and we've taught, her mom has taught her to, yes, please, this means please. It's irresistible, by the way, when she, if she does this, like I'm giving her whatever she's asking for, okay? But sometimes, rather than this, if she doesn't get what she wants, it turns into, no, I'm going to, like, I, I was about to imitate her, but that would probably blow the um, sound. It, 
there's a pterodactyl-like sound um, of, you know, I remember one of the preschool moms told a story of like the, she told her child to go to, bed, go to bed and the child was on the stairwell and the child just looked and said, Mom, I don't think, I don't think you understand. I don't want to go to bed. See, we have a failure to communicate. I don't want to go to bed. So, see, um, when I'm hurting, I can be a pretty nice guy most of the time. And as we develop social skills, we learn to hide what's going on in here most of the time. You don't see, you don't know know, what I'm really dealing with. Um, But occasionally it leaks out, depending upon how much of a mess um, I'm feeling today. So what, what we want to do as parents is be mindful of the other question is, and, and in the preschool world we call it, am I in charge? So this question is, am I loved? It comes out the left half of the heart, the right half of the heart. There's this question of, am I in charge? So if you leave with nothing else today, if, as you picture in your relationships, um, and, and especially when you're in the midst of conflict, to kind of have an awareness that the way people operate is that they feel very justified to be hurtful. And if your child is being hurtful, or if your spouse is being hurtful, right, the odds are oftentimes that there's something going on over here. And you might choose to explore that. I think Holly shared a story just last week where she got in a great conversation with her daughter. Um, as her daughter was, was behaving in a way that wasn't you know, very enjoyable or pleasant, but through some questions, it opened the door to some great conversations of what's happening. Are you curious about what's happening in that side of the heart? Now, does that mean it's okay to come home and kick the dog? Is it okay to be hurtful to other people? And the message has to be no. Now, Shame, see, part of, the, part of the problem with being a person is we're really, we're really a mess. And what I mean by that, again, I don't mean to offend you, but I'm assuming that if I, I, I just know my own heart and I know her heart, I'm just assuming even though we haven't met, I'm, my general assumption is you're a mess too. doesn't mean you don't have social skills, doesn't mean you're a nice guy, but here's, here's the way, um, see, none of these things... Um, when I'm exposed for, in some way, let's say public speaking as one, okay? Because um, my, my daughter gave a speech in fifth grade and uh, there was just some miscommunication with the teacher and she thought she wasn't allowed to have any notes and she got up and it was like one of those TCA days where, you know, all the parents show up and everybody else, was, they gave their, their talk with their notes, and my daughter thought she wasn't allowed to have notes, and she's just kind of deer, deer in the head like kind of thing. And she was just so, so, so ashamed and so horrified. I mean, she just wept. I, I, it's just of all my memories of all my daughters, this is one story where I just remember her being totally undone. And the question is, did she do anything wrong? Was there any kind of a moral failure I mean, okay, she, she misunderstood. She wasn't allowed to have notes, and she gave up. Was she hurtful? Was she mean? Was she unkind? No. But she's feeling tremendous amount of shame over an inadequacy or a failure in this part of the heart. Not a failure to love, but just a failure to pull it off, to look good, and, and, and to all these things that she wanted so desperately, 
because of her performance, she didn't really, you know, these were out the window, and she's feeling like everybody thinks I'm a fool. On the other hand, there are times when we should feel shame. We should feel shame over the harm we've done. We should feel shame that if I go up and because I'm mad at you, I feel justified to get revenge through cyberbullying or post something on Facebook or, or, you know, attack in some way. See, that's where if my kids don't feel shame over that kind of stuff, I'm pretty scared. I want them to feel a healthy, appropriate kind of shame. So how do I parent in a way that understands that, gosh, you know, oftentimes when she's really feeling bad and she's feeling shame, it's over, it's illegitimate, it's something I want to comfort. There's other times... When I'm hoping, and I remember having conversations with my kids sometimes when she said, you know, we were trying to expose this part of the heart. Do you see what you did to your sister? Do you see that? Is there any remorse? I'm I'm hoping and praying that there's some, some inkling, not that there's a spark that Katy Perry wants to talk about. I'm talking about, do you, you know, do you have the capacity to see the damage, the harm you've done. And then finally she said, you're making me feel bad. And I said, well, I hope so. I hope so. That's a good thought. I'm so excited that you're, you're feeling bad. Okay? Now, now, is there a way to do that without intensity? Without, you know, mocking? I mean, I'm tr- again, trying to be a little bit funny here, but I, I'm really serious that some of the scariest parts of parenting are when I'm starting to wonder whether you have the capacity to feel shame. Now, why would I... Am I just a mean, mean dad that I want my daughter to feel bad? Why would I do that? Where am I going with that? What is my vision for my child? See, is it possible that in addition to the idea that God loves them, is it possible that there is a freedom that I want for her that looks something like this, that says, what is your response when you hurt Okay? And you justify hurting others because it just feels so natural. But of course, you know, if you just knew what they did to me, I mean, you know, and, and that's why for young children it's really important who did what first, right? I hit her, yeah, but first she looked at me a certain way. You know, and as long as she did that first, then the fact that I hit her, well, it's justified because she did that first, right? This is very, very important, okay, who did what first. So is it possible that my response, rather than being other-centered contempt to the harm that I've, you know, the person that did that to me, okay? Katy Perry's next song, I'm a big Carrie, but I, her, her songs are so catchy. And uh, there's one roar now, it's like you put me down, you know, right? I, don't, I, I Actually, I think I pronounced the lyrics, I don't want to spend time now, but it's, um, see, you've oppressed me, but now... Okay, here, it's, it's coming, because I'm tired of this. Okay, and now you're, you're about to see me rise. You're going to see me roar. Well, in, rather than this justification now to express myself and to vent, um, is it possible that there's a, a different response and it begins with brokenness? Okay, do my kids have enough empathy and capacity to look at their heart, their, the harm that they've done and have a mood and it, to say, wow, I can, I can see that I've hurt you. And there's a, re, a true, genuine remorse for the damage that I've done. And then, because what, what follows that is a, a conviction that generally, again, now if we go down this path during our discipline, and this is what I believe, by the way, 
what I would say is biblical discipline has this goal in mind. It's not the technique that we're going to use, okay? It's, it's what we're after. And what if, what if what I am after as I parent and as I expose their failures to love others well, I expose the harm that they've done in their relationship is, and, and my desire for them to feel bad is that they might feel conviction and say, as in their brokenness, see, that's not who I want to be. That's not the person that I want to be. That's not the way I want to engage in relationships. Okay, these aren't the exact words that are come out of their mouth, right? But, see, when my child goes there, my response is not, I have no desire to condemn them. It's a sense of, oh my goodness, you're starting to get a glimpse of your heart. If the only time that we expect our kids to... You know, it seems like it's on Easter that we say something like, Jesus died for your sins. Why would we think our kids are really going to embrace the cross when the, you know, if, if it's just sort of this idea that's out there and sort of abstract as opposed to one of the most core and central realities of their life? To say, so you've done harm. And I remember one of my daughters, and again... This does not happen. Do not expect this to be like every instance of discipline is going to lead to this destination. But it's important that you have this vision in your mind of saying, one time she said, gosh, I know I'm like that. And I don't know how to fix it. I just can't seem to stop that. I can't seem to not do that. And every, every fiber of my being wanted to say, welcome to the club. You, in fact, you and your little 17-year-old heart, you are just getting a glimpse, a small glimpse of, of the reality that's going on. Wait till you're in your 50s and you're looking back. You will have a, I, I hope and pray that you have a richer and deeper understanding of you've got a problem that you can't solve. Your core, most central part of you um, has a problem that you can't solve. And, and our reaction to that, not only is it not other-centered contempt, but it's not self-contempt. It's not like, oh, I'm, so, oh, I'm just such a bad person. Oh, I'm so, oh, I just hate it when I do that. Okay? There's a sense of rest that says, I have a problem that I can't fix. And say, now, this, now in this moment, you're not going to live there, you're not going to stay there, but in this, in this moment, does Easter mean something more? Is it just a little richer when you go to the thorn and you see, you, you, you see this? It's moving, but, but, but it's in this moment for, for me that I go, I, I have a really vivid glimpse of my heart and my need for a Savior. And see, there's nothing more restful than not having to fix this problem. So when I said I was really literally ready to stand up in church and go, what the heck are you talking about? Now, I don't ask that question. That's not a confusing aspect of Christianity anymore. I worked really hard. I, I went to the Coast Guard Academy. I was a very disciplined kid. I had my quiet times. I had, I had like clockwork of scripture memory and all the things that I could master. I could master those things. It wasn't until relationships revealed that there's a part that I can't fix. I can't master. I can't conquer. I don't care how smart you are. I don't care what your degree is in. We all need 
to be able to rest in the idea that I've got a problem. And so what's the response now of, gosh, I can't fix this problem? Gratitude for the cross. And gratitude, in, in my world, in my life, what gratitude makes it easier for me to do as I get a richer... Again, please hear, I don't, I don't live in this place. All right? I visit it. I don't know if you can write that. I, I do not live in gratitude for the cross. But I visit it. And each time I make this journey, because I'm blessed to have a wife who can... Um, over, we've been married for 30 years, okay? And I've seen the harm that I've done. And she's gracious enough to create an environment that's made it, it's not her responsibility to do this, but she's you know, made it easier for me to be able to look at the harm that I've done to her um, and without a lot of you know, rage and intensity coming my way, but, but sort of an invitation. I love that word. It's an invitation to take a look at the harm that I've done, to be broken, to feel conviction, to have a desire to say, that's not the husband that I want to be. It's not the father that I want to be. And then, and to have gratitude for the fact that um, there's no condemnation for this dilemma that I'm in, and the, pri- and, the, and the mess has been paid for. Again, that's the only place that I've found rest and freedom rather than working really hard to have the self-discipline to not do that again. These little vows of saying, I'll never do that again. Well, good luck with that. And then and, and let's talk in a year and see, did you pull it off? Um, some things we might be able to conquer that way, but these, the, the deeper, more core things, we can't. So, again, the gratitude, for, gratitude has led, I think it's a little easier to be non-judgmental, to not be so shocked that other people have done such outrageous things. Because the more honest we are with the, the message in us, I think the more um, freedom that we feel to, again, to not be defensive. And this is probably, if there's one word that, that, where this rings just so, so true in my own, on my own journey, it's been, see, if I've got to hide this part and make sure that others don't see it, if I need to scramble because even I don't want to look at that mess, and if I need to, when Mary begins to expose it or see it, if I need to come up with all the explanations and the justifications of why her expectations are so unreasonable, and does she just understand what happened to me at work today, right? See, all that scrambling, all that defensiveness, wouldn't it be nice for her to be married to a man that could say, wow, that's true. You know what? I know, I know that I'm like that sometimes, and I really wish I wasn't. Um... I'm so sorry that that's what you have to live with sometimes. Wow, wouldn't, I mean, who doesn't want a spouse that's able, not in an insincere way, but truly to go, you know what, I'm not shocked and stunned. I, 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 I used to be, I guess, but, you know, that just, this is part of the freedom that I think can, can come from being able to embrace the idea that there's just, I'm a, I'm ashamed about things I shouldn't be ashamed about. I'm I'm not ashamed of things I ought to be ashamed about. Um, So, parenting. If this is the journey that I've been on, and I have some taste of this, and I I am not going to be shocked and stunned and surprised that my kids struggle with this stuff, and I'm not shocked and stunned that even my grandchild, as sweet and cute as she is, 
This is just the wiring of people. And that, see, the gospel isn't like a bolt-on. It's really the core of where we're going with our discipline. It's what we're inviting our children to a change of heart. And that's what Mary's going to talk about when we get in and come back in a couple weeks to say, is our parenting, is our discipline about modifying behavior? Is our home a place where it's about crime and punishment? Or is the mood and culture of our home a place where we think, my expectation is, you are going to screw up, make mistakes, do harm, relational harm, probably to me, probably to her, probably to your siblings, probably to your friends. Okay? This is my expectation. You think, wow, you have a low opinion of your kids. No, 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 I don't at all. Um, but I'm not shocked and stunned when it happens. And so my home is a laboratory where they get to practice hurting people and then working through it and working through that conflict. It's a laboratory where they screw up, make mistakes, but no one gets kicked out of the family. See, that's that last sentence. See, that's a taste of the gospel. I see you. Because our love, see, if you get a valentine, I used to ask, if God wrote you a valentine, what would it say? I'm going to do this on Valentine's Day. God wrote you valentines, a valentine, what would it say? And most people, our first reactions would say, I love you. I don't think that's the whole valentine. I think it's, you know what, I see you. I know you including this part of your heart. And in light, despite the fact that I see all of that, I love you. We are so dismissive. If I tell, Sometimes I'll tell the, the moms, I think there's a lot of really great moms at our preschool. And I'll say, Holly, I think you're a great mom. I, and I do. Um, but most, that, that generally runs like water off a duck's back. Most of us can't really receive a sincere, genuine compliment because our first thought, you know, I'll bet, I'm not going to ask her and put her on the spot, but I bet her first thought when I said that was something like, well, I don't think you saw me Thursday when I just lit into my kids at Walmart, okay? Right? We go to um, shame over our failures to love well, Right? And so it's very hard to receive. The big, see, but when your husband says, no, I see you, I know you, I've seen all of that, and I want you to look in my eyes, read my lips, hear this well. You are a great mom. I am so glad I married you, and I'm glad you are the mother of my children. See, so to be seen and still loved is very different than just somebody loves us. So how do we send that message to our kids and expose this half of the heart? We have 18 years. I know that you think, if you haven't had, you know, your kids leave your house yet, it's just, but you, you don't need me to tell you, it flies by. It's unbelievable how fast it goes by. So do we have a vision for our parenting where our goal isn't to modify their behavior, to make sure that there's a punishment that fits the crime and all that kind of stuff, but a way that we want to invite them into a change of heart and invite them to take a look at the message inside. And then not for the sake of having them just beat themselves up and think they're a terrible human being, but that they might actually find a place of rest and freedom, that they don't have to scramble. My hope is that when my daughter has a fight with her husband, it's not the first time, because I don't think, even if we coddled her and just all we did 
for 18 years was sing Katy Perry songs. You are like the fireworks, honey. Just, boy, when you let your colors show, you, ooh, and oh. 18 years of high self-esteem, love, 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 love. You know, Holly shared some great ways to, I mean, again, this is an important question because my kids are hungry people living in a fallen world. And they're wrestling with this all the time, right? So that's a part of my job. But the other part is to expose this because I started to say, I don't want her husband. Even if we were willing to do that, guess what? Her husband, he's not. He's not. He, I, I just promise you, it's not going to be 30 years of, ooh, oh, honey, wow, you know, you... You are an image bearer, you know, you are special and unique and just, right? So at some point, he's going to say, you know, there's some stuff here. See, that can come as a shock. So you've got 18 years to help them see this, right? In an environment, a safe, a safe place that's not filled with wrath and rage and disgust as I expose that mess. It's a safe place where, hey, I'm, you know, we're going to work, learn to, 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 to fight well. And you're so blessed if you've got more than one child and they fight. A lot of people want that. You know, one of the favorite talks at preschool partners, people come to the sibling rivalry talk. And the, you know, it's the best attended talk we ever give because everybody wants that silver bullet. How do I get them to stop fighting? And then they're always very disappointed when I go, um, if you had that silver bullet and you used it, you'd be robbing them of a chance to learn and to practice in an environment where nobody gets kicked out of the family and you have authority over both parties so that you can referee the fight and make sure there's no hits below the belt and, all, and you can coach them to learn how to process this well and not be shocked and stunned and defensive that they can't believe that, you know, because the only message they've ever got is, you know, they're, they're fireworks, man, right? So... Um, the two questions, am I loved, am I in charge, leads to this, this kind of a two-by-two two matrix of how, the, in the culture of our home, how we tend to answer, answer those questions. The healthy home, again, the answer is yes, you're loved, but no, you're not in charge. And, and, and again, that's a metaphor, metaphorical question as well. Again, we like when the preschoolers of, you know, the little boy on the steps going, Mom, you don't understand. You know, I don't want to go to bed. Okay, that's kind of how it looks with three- and four-year-olds. It gets more sophisticated as they get older, but, you know, is it okay for me? Um, am I, you know, the center of the universe? Do, am I really called, I have to love people despite the fact that they've hurt me? I'm called, it's not okay for me to, you know, post stuff on Facebook when no one would sit by me in the cafeteria? So, the healthy home is, yes, you're loved, no, I'm, you're not in charge, okay? Now, there's two areas where, that are easy to miss the mark. The authoritarian home, with what we call the conforming compliant child, where the mood there is, oh yeah, where there's a lot of strength in this home, okay? Um, you're not in charge, but the perception of the child is um, they don't find, see, they generally hurt alone. They, they will respect the rules of the home, but this part, um, this part of their lives is kind of a mystery, that, and they're on an 18 years journey of feeling this, asking this question at the core level of their heart without their parents 
entering richly into that side because that's messy stuff. And if you're a mechanical engineer, again, no offense, so I, hope, I don't know who's... Um, but I don't see, I'm good at fixing certain kinds of things. This um, never, we didn't have a course, um, you know, in my physics and calculus. I, 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 this, is, this is confusing. I got three daughters. Um, so it's easy to want to um, have simplistic, authoritarian, use my strength, just, you know, have my kids obey and comply. Um, on the other hand, there's another way we miss the mark, which is the permissive home. It's um, indulgent home, where there's lots of oodles and oodles of love, but there's a real absence of strength. And again, when kids are young, there is an insecurity that comes out of that. The idea that you're the most powerful force in the home. There's really not a lot of rest and peace. Um, it's nice to know that dad is bigger than the boogeyman. There's something, when I test boundaries and the idea is that there are limits, um, that the idea that there are high expectations, there's just a security that comes from that. And by the time, in the absence of that, it might, you might be able to survive the preschool years, um, but by the time they're in middle school and junior high, there's a real, what's really obvious in this home is there's really a lack of respect for the parents at a core, core level. So um, I can see that it's 10.30, and rather than opening this door, um, we're not going to, Spend next week, again, Mary, um, her desire is to move much more into some of the how-tos as, as to much more theory, but we'll come back. Having this framework, um, you might want to just almost as homework to give a little thought to not just what is the culture of the home that you're, where, your home now with your spouse, but what home did you grow up in? Um, lots of times our parenting isn't shaped by what do my children need from me now? What does my child in this moment, which question do I hear the loudest? Do they need me to enter in to this side of their heart? Do they need to understand that there's strength and that they are called to love others well and their justification for, um, for their behavior in their own heart and mind, their, their, their view of themselves as the victim without any empathy for the other? Um, that is not okay. So which, which question... Do I hear the loudest? And that's the one I need to address. Not, what did my parents do? And not do the opposite of what my parents did. See, either way, it's not really about what does my child need from me. And lots of times, I think the reason that we tend in this culture to allow our kids to um, sort of rule the roost is because the only strength we've ever seen in our lives was not a strength that was for us. Um, but it was, there was a lot of intensity. And I'll, and I'll just say this, and we'll just unpack this a little bit as we get started in two weeks. Your intensity ruins everything that's good about discipline. This journey that I just walked through, and I know I'm, we're talking about 18 years of parenting, and you know, we have a one-hour Sunday school class, but this, this journey and an invitation to the rest and freedom in the cross, it doesn't. You are not inviting anything when, and again, at preschool I have fun, because preschoolers, you know, they're only about this tall. So as a parent, see how his head's kind of at a 45 looking up at me? And when I whip this out and say, I have had it. 
I am sick and tired. Do you understand how many times do I need to tell you? See, um, as soon as we go there. So if there's only, if there, I said, if there's one thing you remember from here, if it was this, and you don't come back in two weeks, and the other thing that I hope you remember, again, we may ne- never even see you again, but if you can remember that when your body is like this, and your three or four or five-year-old is looking up at you at a 45, that their brain has gone into fight-or-flight mode, that your words, they're not even processing your words, okay? They're not even processing what you're saying. They're at, because they're, the core amygdala has taken over their brain, and they have one question, which is, are you going to kill me? You know, what do I need to do? What do I need to say to appease you to get you to calm down? Okay, so nothing good happens um, from intensity. So is there a way... A realistic way, not a pie-in-the-sky way, but is there a real, realistic way that we might actually be able to parent in a way that it looks at both halves of the heart and invites our kids to this place with, without getting intense? Because, gosh, you know, it's just... Again, I, I, please, I, I guess I should... We, at preschool, we have time to preface. Um, the only reason I, I say that isn't to shame you. It's um, our biggest regret our biggest regret with our own kids. And so if you're not there where parenting is a past tense phrase, um, you have the opportunity to do things differently. And if you can catch yourself in the midst, thanks for being the guinea pig, um, if you can catch yourself in the midst and you feel that the flames are coming out of my eyeballs right now, just stop, okay? Stop. Um, Nothing good. Nothing good is going to, and if you have a spouse that can take over, that'd be great. You know, go have a bubble bath, glass of wine, whatever you need to do. <laughs> well, I'm out of time. You need to go. Um, we, we love having a chance to share. I hope at least everybody, there's just some idea in there, even just one little idea that can impact your parenting, your ability to enter into the lives of your kids, to invite them into, into an, a real appreciation for the cross so that Easter isn't just some sort of like, oh, by the way, it's that time of year. Um, we, you know, Jesus died for your sins. Um, What's that mean? Why, why would I get that? Why, why, why would I get that if, if you know, Katy Perry tells me I'm a firework? Um, okay. <laughs> um, you're dismissed.